When I first met the lovely Miss Andrea Johnson, I knew I was in love. And I knew I had just met the young lady I wanted to marry. She wasn't as sure as I was, but I was. She came to play keys during the Missouri Children's Camp in 1999. She had just turned 18, a very mature 18. I was 20, a somewhat mature 20. We talked that night after that service, and over the next few days, she told me she was dating a young man from Missouri. A few weeks later, she was coming back to Gateway College to start her freshman year. And one of her friends found me and told me, Hey, I don't know if you've heard already, but Andrea and her boyfriend are no longer dating. I didn't know how to handle that news. I felt for her and for him. Breakups are tough. (laughs) But I was thrilled, forever thrilled for me. I told her friend, I don't know whether to say I'm sorry or... Yes! I went with yes. 23 years of a blessed, blissful marriage later, I'm still thankful for the day her friend told me, you can call her if you want. Now that was just a few weeks of waiting. I couldn't imagine having to wait to hear such good news for about 10 years. But David did. Hey, good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to King David on Simplify. It was over for what could have been around 10 years, maybe even up to 15. David had run for his life from the maniacal, insecure, paranoid, homicidal King Saul. David couldn't even sleep in his own bed because Saul sent his goons to bring him in so Saul could take him out. But it's over now. David was just getting back from another battle with the Amalekites. Oddly enough, a battle he shouldn't have had to fight if Saul had just obeyed what God commanded. But a young man came running up to David with news about another battle. He told David the sad story of Saul and his son Jonathan on the mountain of Gilboa. Then he opened up his gear and handed David Saul's crown and bracelet. No way Saul would let those go if he was still alive. Here you go, sir. I know you know Saul was after you for years, but but it's over now. He's dead now. Here's his crown. All the emotions from the last nearly ten years welled up inside of him and burst into tears and into a song. For nine inspired verses in the first chapter of Second Samuel, David wrote and sang a song as he lamented the death of his king, Saul, and the death of his best friend, Jonathan. David may have thought of how he would respond when he first heard that news, but even ten years of wondering and wandering could not have prepared him for its first and final blow. In a day, Israel lost their king and prince, and he lost his best friend, his confidant, Jonathan. But David was no longer number one on Israel's most wanted list. He was a free man, and his first act is a behind-the-scenes tour into his character. David prayed. He asked God what he should do next. Should he go to Judah? And God said, go. And he said, well, where should I go? And God said, Hebron. For the first time in a long time, David was able to take his time. He wasn't running from 3,000 elite soldiers trying to get him in their crosshairs to get in good with King Saul. David made it to Hebron, and a welcoming party welcomed him there. The men of Judah gathered around him, and one of them lifted a horn of oil over David's head and anointed him to be the king of Judah. Just like that. It probably felt so sudden, 
but he had been waiting for this moment since the day he stood in front of his dad and brothers and felt that anointing oil run down from Samuel's hands onto his head and soak into the dirt floor. But trouble was brewing in the rest of Israel. One of Saul's sons escaped his dad's fatal fate, and Saul's commander Abner convinced the people in Israel to anoint Prince Ishbosheth as king over Israel. It doesn't have the same ring to it as King David. King Ishbosheth. David would be king over Judah. Ishbosheth was king over Israel. Here we go again. Get ready to run, David. But not this time. This time David wore the crown and he had his own commander and his own small army. He didn't have to run, but he also did not want to fight Ishbosheth. He was Saul's son, and Saul was anointed at one point. David knew he should never lift a sword against God's anointed. He would let God fight his battles. David really was a more moral man than most. Even when his old mighty men offered to fight his battle for him, David would not let them. He knew God could fight his battle better than they could, and he knew their motives may not always be right, and their methods most certainly would not always be right, but God's would every time. Perhaps that's why God reserves vengeance for himself. He knows he will do what's right the right way at the right time every time, but we won't. When the zealous Amalekite told David he had killed Saul to put him out of his misery, David had him put to death. When David's own commander, Joab, took out Saul's commander, Abner, David reprimanded Joab. When two overzealous men assassinated King Ishbosheth in his own bed, David had them put to death. People were fighting David's battles, but David was secure in his faith enough to let God fight them. All the tribes of Israel gathered around David in Hebron, and this time they crowned him as king of Judah and Israel. David would not have to worry about fighting a civil war. He was finally, he was officially King David. No asterisk, no footnote. He was the king. Now that he's the king, what would he do? Israel needed a heal. For the last many years, their king was after him to kill him. Now those days were done. Israel was not divided anymore with Team Saul and Team David. But Israel was still wounded from those years. David could start building up the army to ward off any would-be threats to the throne. He could levy a tax to make sure he always had enough, even if the people did not. But one of his first acts as king reveals just how God-fearing and godly David was, at least in the beginning. He asked around about the Ark of the Covenant. Somebody reminded him it was stolen during a Philistine raid years ago, but David wanted it back. He needed it back. It was more than just a wood box overlaid with gold. It represented the presence of God. If David was going to lead God's people, he needed God. And only one chapter after they placed the crown on his head to coronate the new king of Israel and Judah, King David, King David led a mission to bring back the Ark of the Covenant to Israel's new capital, Jerusalem. But David did not know any better, and neither did his friends. They set the Ark on a brand new cart fresh off the showroom floor and hitched the cart to a couple of tried and true oxen. And as David led this one float parade back to Jerusalem, he and all of his friends played instruments and sang praises to God. It was a day to celebrate until the oxen hit a pothole and the Ark of the Covenant shifted on the cart. 
Yuza was one of the young men who lived in the house where the ark had been the last several years. He probably felt like he knew it better than everybody else, so when it shifted on the cart, he reached out to steady it. He had been the keeper of the ark in his dad's house. But God did not need Yuza's help, and God struck Yuza dead for his irreverence. It was severe, but God was holy. That stopped the celebration. King David had a dead young man on his hands, and he had to make the notification to his family. David didn't know what to do. They detoured and left the Ark of the Covenant with Obed-Edom until he could debrief and figure out what exactly went wrong back there. And some time between that time and the next time, somebody told David, Hey, <laughs> Your Majesty, we were doing this all wrong. The priests are supposed to carry the Ark. We don't set it on a cart. Three months later, take two. This time the priests hoisted the poles from the Ark of the Covenant up on their shoulders and they started back toward Jerusalem. David and his men had walked only six paces when David stopped the one float parade and offered up sacrifices to God to thank him for allowing them to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. So far, so very good. David led the way, dancing and worshiping God all the way from Obed-Edom's humble home to David's palatial home in Jerusalem. David gives us a glimpse into what it means to be a worshiper first, king second. Even though he was the king, he was still that young boy in his own mind who was anointed in Jesse's house, who was anointed to be the king when he was just a shepherd and yet God elevated him through years of running and waiting. God preserved him, kept him, protected him. And so if anybody should worship, and if anyone is worthy of worship, David should worship God, and he did. All of Israel joined with him and danced and celebrated and worshipped because the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing the presence of Almighty God, was right where it belonged, right in the center of God's people. And 2 Samuel records two great gifts God gave to King David, a preacher named Nathan, and rest from his enemies. Samuel was gone, but David needed somebody who could hear from God and speak for God, and so do we. God gave him Nathan. God gave us our pastor. Thankfully, after all those years of running for his life and dodging javelins and arrows and rumors, David was finally able to rest on the throne of Israel. No longer just Jesse's shepherd boy or Jesse's errand boy or even Saul's court musician. He was finally King David. If God made you a promise, he could bring it to pass the same day or he could bring it to pass 20 years from now. But God always keeps his word. He kept his word to David. He will keep his word to us. The key is not getting ahead of God or fighting battles we were never meant to fight. Let's learn a lesson from King David. Let's be patient. Live with integrity. Leave the battles that belong to God to God. And trust him that he will keep his word, no matter how long we have to wait. Let's pray. I want to pray that God would help every one of us to trust him to keep his word and that we would leave the battles to him and we would look to him to keep us and keep his word. Lord Jesus, you always keep your word. You have never, never broken your word. There's never filled one word of all your good promise, even if we mess it up. It may take longer, but you will keep your word. 
I ask you today, Jesus, help us to be patient, live with integrity, leave the battles to you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to learn from David the way he lived. Help us to live with integrity. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe you. God, we love you. We trust you. Our faith is in you. You will keep your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, Simplify listeners. If you're living in these United States, we have enjoyed daylight savings time today, which means we gain an hour. So hopefully, hopefully you're able to get an extra hour of sleep. With that extra energy you got from that extra hour of sleep, be sure to click on subscribe, follow, like, notify, and share so others can know about this podcast. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. Some resources I would love for you to check out, the devotional Simplify that launched this podcast, and then 10 Words, A Practical Look at the Ten Commandments, and Blessed Are, A Practical Look at the Beatitudes. I believe 10 Words is on sale this week, so you could get a deal. Head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and check those out. And when you use promo code SIMPLIFY at checkout for the first time, you'll get 10% off your entire order, no matter how much or little you order. 10% off right off the top on PentecostalPublishing.com. Next week, I want to share with you a devotion called Springtime in Jerusalem. Sadly, it's not two more chapters, and David is making his most memorable mistake and sin. It's a story of sin, scandal, adultery, murder, cover-up consequence, and then repentance and redemption. I'm looking forward to sharing springtime in Jerusalem with you and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.